This Endo Life episode 75. I'm Jessica Duffin, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. So, guys, I can only apologize. I know this is coming out late. Um, and also you might hear like my jumper scratching against my headphones. Hopefully not. Um, yeah, this is coming out late. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm just kind of trying to adjust to the my new kind of schedule as um, a coach and having clients and stuff. Um, it was really, (laughs) one of my clients said to me, um, just the other day, oh, you know, you, I was listening to one of your episodes where you were talking about your, your kind of work routine and how you have a schedule when you do things in batches. And I was thinking that I really need to do that. I think it will help. And I was just like, yeah, that's not really happening at the moment. Um, just because I'm just, yeah, just trying to uh, adjust and work out how things fit in. But um, regardless, the podcast will continue to be out every week. Um, and hopefully it will be back to Monday really soon. Um, that's, you know, it will be back to a Monday. I just don't know exactly when. So if you can just bear with me in the meantime, that would be, um, yeah, really appreciated. Before I dive in with today's episode... I just want to, of course, give a shout out to BU. If you are interested in trying CBD for your endometriosis and you're just a little bit confused about kind of the quality of CBD out there and which one works and, you know, what ones are better for period pains and things like that, then um, I highly recommend checking out BU's CBD range. They have sprays, drops, and a CBD belly balm, which are made with the highest quality CBD and all natural ingredients. And I use, I've actually used all of my CBD um, balm, which I would put on before my period and during my period. Um, And I've been more recently using my spray to help me with my anxiety and my sleep issues. So if you deal with anxiety, sleep problems or period pain. CBD works differently for everyone. um, So it's best to check it out and see how you react. But um, I really love their products. They're high quality. um, And BU, the team behind BU, I know them and like they care about what they're putting out in the world so much. And I trust them so much. Um, Yeah, I think there are a lot of CBD companies out there that aren't really delivering um, aren't delivering what they are promising and BU are not one of them they really deliver and um, yeah their products are lovely and they smell amazing and they are good for you they are organic and natural and contain no nasty toxins and chemicals that are just going to kind of worsen your endo so if you're interested the link is in my show notes or just go to buonline.co.uk so that's B B E uyounline.co.uk and start soothing period cramps the natural way. If you are stuck 
on how to get started with eating for endometriosis, which is one of um, today's themes in the podcast episode, then you might like my cookbook. My cookbook is full of anti-inflammatory, blood sugar balancing, hormone loving recipes for endometriosis. There are 28 recipes um, they're for breakfast, but you can have them at lunch and at, um, for snacks. You'll see what I mean if you get it. Um, and the first half of the book is a guide to managing endometriosis and understanding endometriosis. I talk about supplements, nutrients, anti-inflammatory foods and foods that are a bit more inflammatory. It's a real deep dive into managing your endometriosis naturally. So if you would like a copy of that, the link is in my show notes and it is $9.99 for a digital co- digital copy. And if you want it in print, then um, the link is on my website. So I will put the link to that in my show notes. So today's episode is with a returning guest, Dr. Jessica Drummond. Um, and I'm really excited to have Jessica back on just because Jessica is just, she's like my mentor. Um, she has been an enormous help for me in the past 18 months really has changed my life and um you know I've been privileged enough to go through the women's health coaching certificate with her and now the endometriosis health coach certificate with her as well it's just an honor to be taught by you know one of the world's leading endometriosis and women's health experts um and yeah it's, it's just so nice to have my tutor on the show and to share what she's doing. Um, so if you haven't heard the first interview that I did with Jessica, go back to that and have a listen. Um, that is episode 53. And if you're not familiar with Jessica's work, she is the founder of the Integrative Women's Health Institute. She's a licensed physical therapist. She's a licensed clinical nutritionist and board certified women's health coach working with women with pelvic pain. And she is now the author of Outsmart Endometriosis, Relieve Your Symptoms and Get Your Career Back on Track. And I think you guys know how passionate I am about, you know, the way that endometriosis can affect our dreams and um, our goals. And so I was so, so grateful that Jessica wrote a book that took this perspective. Um, So it was, I really wanted to have her on the show to talk about that but also what I love about her new book is that it really um gives very clear instructions on how to eat well for endometriosis and how to kind of get to the root of your symptoms and she talks about a lot of um issues with managing endometriosis that aren't really they're they're not always discussed um and certainly we haven't talked about them on the show yet so it's it's brilliant to have someone to come on and talk about that with so in this episode we demystify the elimination diet for endometriosis and specifically talk about the kind of undiet that jessica has in her book and how it's so important to not just you know rule out foods forever and think we can never eat them again because we may be able to but also to actually focus on adding in nutrient dense foods we also discuss something that doesn't come up much in the endo community but i've started to have questions about it which is histamine and oxalate sensitivity and how that can impact our pelvic pain and especially with the bladder so 
that's something that I'm actually working through at the moment. Um, so thankfully, Jessica and I have, we think, identified that I have some sen- sensitivities there. And that's what's kind of causing a lot of my pelvic pain. Uh, sorry, my bladder pain. So um, I am going to be starting on this protocol very soon. Um, additionally, we chat about gut health and why it's so crucial to actually start healing the gut and repairing the damage that's been done in order to have the symptom relief that we really want. Jessica's book is just such an incredible insight into managing endometriosis and it has really practical action steps that you can begin taking to reduce your symptoms. Jessica is actually giving the book away for free at the moment. So if you want to download it, go to www.outsmartendo.com and you can download it from there. The link is also in the show notes. So with that, let's go to the interview. So when I was reading the opening chapters of your book, I was actually brought to tears. And that doesn't really happen a lot anymore with endo, but um, not many people talk about how it affects work. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you what inspired you to write the book and from that perspective. Yeah, I, I did that because in my practice, the people that I see that are most um, kind of lifestyle restricted by endometriosis, it really is everyone through the lifespan, but the, because of how long it takes people on average to be diagnosed, you have a, a large group of patients and clients who are, you know, 16 through say late mid thirties, sometimes even older. Mm. And so the women who were never diagnosed really until they were in their late thirties, forties, even have been like pushing through. They, they have learned all these adaptations, anything from, you know, quit my job every two years and kind of go on sabbatical and get better. <laughs> I went on sabbatical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to just, you know, taking, feeling like their only option for work was freelance or just really trying to push through. And then a couple of my earliest clients when I was working in this way were in graduate school um, and, and many were sort of new career graduate school. And it's really challenging to finish when you're, it's unpredictable in terms of when you can show up, but yeah. they're such like highly driven people in general. And it was so frustrating to them. And I thought, yeah, I mean, and, and I felt the same way when I was sick because, you know, I wanted to get better just for the sake of it. Cause when you're really in the meat of it, you know, you just don't want to feel like horrible all the time, but also there's a drive to like live your life. And when I saw that study this summer at the international pelvic pain society meeting that Dr. Tu and his colleagues had put together about how impactful endometriosis is on people's whole life. Because if you can't get your career started when you're in your twenties and thirties, um, or you can't, you know, get it, get into the college or you can't stay in college, it really derails the rest of your career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that people have this delayed diagnosis and then they're often told like, 
okay, you have to go on, you know, Zolidex or all of these different hormones that then kind of affect them even more going forward. So I love that you have a different approach and you're providing people with a different option in order to take control and be able to, yeah, work on their career and whatever else they want in life. Um, so in terms of the book, there's, there's obviously a lot to it, but a big part of it is nutrition. And the last time you were on the show, we didn't talk about this so much. Um, but what I love about your approach is that you kind of call it like the endo undiet mm-hmm. and, even though it's an elimination diet, the focus is on what you can eat and expanding your, you know, your nutrition as soon as possible. So why was that important for the book and kind of what's, you know, how do you do that? How do you do an elimination diet whilst also kind of focusing on what you can eat? Yeah, that was important to me because I'm a person who just likes food. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And when I was, um, when I first started kind of my own health journey, like well before I had that crash in my early thirties, right before, like the year before I got married. So like 2000, about 20 years ago, I had this chronic problem of, um, heartburn. And so I went to all these doctors and I had all these endoscopies and I had my bed up on stilts and all this stuff. And, you know, I was trying to change what I was eating before that honestly, food had never been a a personally a big deal. Like I wasn't a good cook. My mom wasn't a good cook. I didn't know how to cook. Like anytime we'd be like, what's for dinner? My mom would be like air or (laughs) in the cabinet, you know, and and my dad's side of the family is Italian. So there's a lot of focus on food over there, but you know, it wasn't like I, my graduate, my physical therapy graduate school roommates are like, you're a nutritionist. My like number, you know, the thing I would bring to all the potlucks when we were in grad school was slice and bake cookies. So, you know, (laughs) I literally didn't think about food much before that. And I didn't restrict anything. And I never really had any issues with food one way or the other, you know, and I was when I was a kid, I was an athlete. So I had a ton of just whatever they would put in front of me. And so when I was in when I had that digestive heartburn issue, And the doctor was like, I find that's when I first kind of dipped my toe in functional medicine. So I, um, I had seen a doctor who was, who was wonderful. And she was like, well, just stop eating gluten and dairy, which right now in 2020 seems like not really a big deal, but in Mm -hmm. 2000 or 90, this was even 1999 or something like that, 2000 that was like so weird. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what gluten and dairy? Like, first of all, I didn't even know what the word gluten meant. Like what is, Mm. you know, as my parents used to say, like in the time before cholesterol, it was like the time (laughs) before gluten. Right. So, you know, as a kind of, I was like in my first couple of years of work and I, I wasn't even married yet. And it was like, basically I ate yogurt and pasta. Like I didn't know how to make anything else. And I was like, what? <laughs> no gluten or dairy. Mm. And I felt like such crap because I had no idea what to eat. Like I was trying to just eat like chicken breast and whatever I could find apples. I don't know <laughs> that I was like, my blood sugar was a big mess. And it was just like, I, I was like, I can't do this. I don't even know what to eat. So 
I know how it can feel when that rug is sort of pulled out of you. And at the same time, it was so immediately effective to do that. My symptoms like literally just disappeared after wow. years of, like endoscopies and drugs and da, da, da. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, this works, but I don't know how to do this. Like, what the heck am I supposed to eat? So they figured out at that time, I really just had to let go of the dairy first. So there are two strategies when it comes to an elimination diet. One is that we, you take away one thing at a time and get used to it, thinking that that's sort of going to be a long-term plan. So very commonly with people who have food sensitivities or chronic inflammatory conditions, there are a few key things, you know, gluten, dairy, soy, maybe eggs, you know, sugar as much as possible that most people do better without. Mm -hmm. So you could one at a time, which is kind of how I in practice did it. Cause I didn't really have any kind of guidance around this. Um, you know, let go of one thing, like if let's say dairy and then learn what other options there are, see how you respond to those. The problem with doing that usually with endometriosis is that there are such a constellation of digestive issues that go along with endometriosis that you're going to get a lot faster results if you take away, you know, anywhere from five to like 20 foods for a short period of time to give the digestive system a real rest right. so it can start to heal and recover. But if you just give people a list of foods they can't eat, most of the time, this is the stuff that people are eating all the mm -hmm. time. <laughs> and then they, they feel like the way I felt 20 years ago when, you know, I didn't know what to eat. I was hungry all the time. I had blood sugar crashes. I felt worse. So there was no way I was going to be able to maintain that plan. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start. And they really focus on menstrual well-being. And that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, so if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with 100% um, soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really 
committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products. And I mean, obviously I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery, grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why people end up, you know, they might try and then they end up binging on on the thing like gluten and have a massive flare up because they just don't know how to cope without it and they felt deprived all week or, you know, something like that. Um and so just for like a really quick science lesson for anyone who hasn't ta- heard us talk about this before, um, in terms of like why the gut is so important to heal when it comes to endometriosis, can you kind of explain how that then impacts our pain and our symptoms? Yeah. So with endometriosis, the lesions themselves and adhesions themselves caused directly by the endometriosis can often directly impact the digestive tract. So you could have lesions on the outside of the colon or small intestine, anywhere in the abdominal pelvic um, canister, you know, inside your abdomen pelvis, you could have adhesions anywhere inside the abdomen or pelvis on any organs and, and among the fascia such that you get a couple of key things that happen with digestion. One, um, motility can slow down. So it's normal for your gut, for your intestines to kind of have this peristalsis, this little wave-like motion at a particular pace that transmits food through that whole tube over a particular, particularly paced amount of time. And when you have lesions growing on the outside of the intestines, that can slow down that pace. When that pace is slowed down, it's it's a breeding ground for microbes, bacteria, fungi, things like that, that we don't necessarily want growing inside the canister. That And so can the um, adhesions themselves create like little pockets in the intestine that are, again, like prime areas for bacterial and fungal overgrowth. And so you lose kind of that good microbiome uh, environment in both the small and large intestine. The other thing that happens with any chronic condition where we're dealing with chronic pain and or fatigue is that we have to, um, we have to make stomach acid and digestive enzymes, which are key juices for digestion in the stomach and in the the kind of early part of the small intestine, 
that requires a lot of physiologic energy, what's known as ATP. And if someone is struggling with a chronic condition, you're you're going to be dealing with chronic fatigue, immune suppression, um, inflammation, chronic pain, and it's hard for the body to have the residual energy it needs to make really good digestive juices. So you do two things happen from that. You can't kill off the sort of bad bacteria that comes in on anything we eat because we don't live in a sterile environment. Mm -hmm. And you also have trouble breaking food down into very, very small enough pieces to be properly absorbed. So foods that you maybe wouldn't have been sensitive to, you become sensitive to because they're not well broken down. And so the immune system is like, what the heck is this? And it's able to cross into the immune system through the the lining of the small intestine, because the small intestine itself is inflamed, otherwise known as leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability. So the gut is kind of like a skin that your intestines, it's supposed to keep a barrier between what's inside the, the food that's trying to be digested and any bacteria that comes along with it and the immune system. But if, it, if the food's not properly broken down and that barrier is disrupted, then things are are being exposed to the immune system in sizes or with bacteria that it shouldn't be. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then that kind of kicks off this immune reaction of inflammation, which then your you know your whole body ends up getting inflamed, and then you've got increased pain signals, and it affects how the endometriosis feels, right? Yeah. And so it can also amplify pain signaling in general because you can have increased danger signals biochemically to the brain, which is where all pain signaling originates. But but the pain signaling that originates in the brain is based on a lot of different messages coming from the periphery. So anything like lesions, endometriosis lesions themselves or adhesions growing on abdominal pelvic organs or the inflammation associated with those, well, I would say, and, because it's almost never one or the other. Um, And then, you know, you can't eat and there's fear around eating that amplifies the danger signal. Um, You know, things like diarrhea amplifies the danger signal, constipation, uh, communication between the colon and the ovaries, may amplify it, you know, depending on if there's some ovarian endometriosis. So all of these biochemical and and kind of structural negative signaling to the brain alerts the brain that there's something wrong and it will continue to send pain signals until we lower that load of danger signal from the periphery. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, So when it comes to the elimination diet, obviously kind of the basic bones of it is what we've talked about before on the show. So gluten, sugar, caffeine, alcohol, that that kind of um, range of foods. Mm-hmm. But what I found really interesting is that not many people talk about histamines and oxalate, oxalates or oxalates. I don't know. I'll just say. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, British accent. Yeah. <laughs> I say oxalates. <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, I, when I saw that in the book, um, that made a lot of sense to me because obviously we're working together on on my health, and we realised that 
it seems like my bladder pain is really linked to to those two and the way that my body responds. So could you take us through the, that part of the diet and when that would be applicable? Um, and I guess maybe briefly touch upon the autoimmune component as well and taking that into consideration. Yeah. So increasingly, I notice that there are a lot of people who are histamine sensitive or have excessive histamine. They don't have good breakdown of histamine. And I think that's not just with endometriosis, but like anything else, endometriosis, the disease state can amplify that. And I I think honestly, it's because our environment is changing so rapidly and food is changing and, you know, people travel a lot more. They're exposed to different environments. We have a lot more chemicals in our environment. You know, there's a lot of rapid change to the kinds of things that our immune system are asked to be exposed to. And we also have lost a lot of exposure to the things that were sort of protective, like playing in the dirt and, you know, the, the microbiome that lives in our our environment and, you know, people used to eat a lot more fermented foods just on a regular basis and be dirty, but not chemically, you know, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, so we, we don't have that kind of layer of support for our immune system environmentally. And so people can be very sensitive to histamine. And I find that there are a number of things that show up in common. They'll be more just allergic to stuff in general, easily break out in hives, um, you know, kind of immune, like allergic to dust and dogs and stuff like that, kind of randomly break out in hives. And so that in those cases, uh, there are a lot of foods that actually are high in histamine. Now, normally our bodies have diamine oxidase DAO, which is an enzyme that breaks down histamine. Um, and there are antihistamine nutrients and there are foods that are high in histamine. There are also probiotics or good bacteria that produce histamine. So if someone is sensitive to histamine, we want to lower the histaminic foods add antihistamine nutrients and add uh, enzymes that break down histamine. So, and a lot of times that can really help with pain because it's so, um, it, it, it can amplify the pain because your immune system is kind of upregulated in the same way that it would be if you have like a food sensitivity. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that would be the same for like foods containing oxalates and um, any foods that could maybe trigger like an autoimmune reaction that could cause like the kind of aches and pains that some of us get with endo as well. Right. So an oxalate reaction. So a histamine, someone who's sensitive to histamine clinically. So let me give you just a bit of a clinical picture here, less kind of research. But what I see in my practice is people who are sensitive to histamines tend to have more general histamine responses to everything. And as we lower histamine exposures and help add those enzymes that break down histamine, then their pain often reduces as well. So in a sense, the pain was one of the histamine responses. Right. The second, when when it comes to oxalate sensitivity, so same idea, oxalates are in a lot of healthy foods. They're part of like the plant's immune system. And again, 
the body should be able to break that down. That's why we have stomach acid, digestive enzymes. That's why we chew things. We're kind of breaking up the plant's immune system. But if all of those protective layers have sort of worn off, then sometimes there's a buildup of oxalate. There are other reasons that oxalates can build up something like calcium deficiency, for example. And so, and, and there are foods that are quite high in oxalates. So it's maybe not super normal. Like I'm a fan in general of green smoothies, but mm-hmm. it's not really super normal to have like a whole head of spinach raw in like a drink. So that's a lot of oxalate. Definitely right? what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people just wouldn't eat like that, like in nature. So it's it's potentially more than we might be normally exposed to. Um, not that that's a bad thing. I mean, there are much worse things you could do than eat too much spinach. But what I see in practice is people who have excessive oxalate exposures and are sensitive to oxalates and maybe have low calcium will have bladder pain. Usually the symptom is more bladder related. Mm-hmm. Um, And we can measure on a urinary organic acids test. Sometimes we'll see if there's excessive oxalate exposure. So in that case, um, we want to be really optimizing digestive function. So are you really chewing, eating mindfully, have good stomach acid and digestive enzymes, you know, work on healing the energy in general. So we can use, I like to think of digestive enzyme and um, stomach acid supplements as like crutches for the digestive system. Yeah. But ultimately in most cases, and it kind of depends on how old you are and how depressed your, um, stomach acids and digestive enzymes are. Sometimes people need to take those for the rest of their lives and that's okay. I mean, I take digestive enzymes a lot and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes we don't, we only need them short term because the body can like build up build back up their stores of digestive enzymes and uh, stomach acid when more energy is available in the system. And things like, you know, we've kind of stopped cooking. As I said, you know, I'm a child of the uh, 80s, basically. And, you know, no one cooked like that was like microwave generation. right? (laughs) You know, so we don't know how to use things like herbs and spices. And if you add things like fennel and ginger and garlic to foods. There's a a number of herbs and spices that actually naturally increase certain digestive enzymes. So as we relearn how to cook, we also are helping our digestive function. So um, anyway, once those are optimized, then we kind of reduce or in some cases eliminate for a little while the you know, the bladder's exposure to oxalates, we get more calcium in the system, we make sure someone's pooping and peeing well and all of that, then we can often, again, lower that sensitivity to oxalates. So while it may be important to kind of take off the oxalate load, we don't have to usually do that forever. And then when it comes to more of an autoimmune response, clinically, that looks more like joint pain, um, fatigue, joint pain is the one that's kind of easy to notice. Like you wake up the next morning and it's like, oh, my hands are a little boggy, knees, kind of joints outside of the pelvis. Mm. 
Yeah, and I've actually got some clients who are presenting with that. So it'll be really interesting um, to to see how the, this diet, you know, helps with that. Um, so I know you need to kind of, we need to wrap up soon. So just kind of one last question, because I think people get really stuck on elimination diets. Like weirdly enough, recently, I keep getting people ask about FODMAP diets and they've just had a list of things to cut off and they've never learned to reintroduce anything and to test whether they can now eat stuff. And mm. so I think that's one thing you do really clearly in the book. You teach people how to reintroduce those foods. So can we just quickly go over that and about how, you know, why that's so important and how to do it in a, um, I guess, a safe way, in a way that's making sure you're getting nutrients, but also being aware of any symptoms that arise? Absolutely. So first thing to do is, if you're willing to kind of just go all in on this, which a lot of people are, you know, if you've got chronic pain for a long time, it's like, Hey, let's just go all in and try it full on. Mm. So if so work with a nutritionist or a health coach that's trained in this and get super clear on like an elimination diet, you know, is it possible that you have autoimmune issues? Is it possible that you have oxalate issues? And then eliminate everything that you can so that we can best rest the immune system. And depending on what that is, this is why we really have to work with a, a nutritionist or a health coach, because it does depend, you know, we have to still make sure you're getting some protein and some healthy fat. Like you can't be like fasting for three weeks from nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we have to gauge this and, you know, people who eat more vegan vegetarian versus people who eat more meat, we have to vary some things. So, but work with your nutritionist or health coach, get as aggressive as you can while still, you know, maintaining reasonable health for three to four weeks max, like, well, not max, exactly three to four weeks, because it does take three weeks for autoantibodies to kind of be cleared from the system, right. which is why I say four weeks, just because, you know, sometimes life happens. Um, so four weeks commit to it and also be doing your chewing, doing your digestive enzymes, doing your stomach acid, that kind of thing. So we're healing the digestive and digestive system, but also adding things like glutamine and zinc and, um, antihistamine nutrients like, um, quercetin, things like that. So be healing the digestion while you're resting it. So that's when some of those digestive supplements are so important. Then at four weeks, hopefully you'll have noticed a significant difference, which is really helpful. Now it might not be like the answer to everything. It might not be that all of every symptom is completely gone, but you should notice a significant change in probably multiple symptoms. Then it's a heck of a lot easier to be able to tell what foods are irritating you and what foods are not. Mm -hmm. The other thing that is important to consider is that if, if you're doing this, but it's super stressful to you and you don't have good enough support, or you're just living a super stressful period of your life, then it's not the best time because you might, your digestion might be kind of getting okay. But if you have a lot of stress, like you can't eat your way out of a stressful situation. And when it comes to healing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you do have to consider that before you maybe even start this. 
Um, but anyway, so assuming you have reasonable, reasonable support, moderate to low stress, then three to four weeks of elimination, then one food at a time. And this is how I usually clinically do a rechallenge. I say to my client, what's the foods that you miss the most? You know, they're like, I'm feeling pretty good, but now we need to start expanding. Cause I want you to be able to like live your life as big as possible. And, you know, whatever it is, that's the thing they're missing first, we'll test that. And we add it in about three to four servings a day for the first four days of the week. So kind of flood the system with it a bit and notice if there's any symptoms. Now, if like day one, all of a sudden your bladder's on fire again, and it was perfectly fine for four weeks, you don't have to keep torturing yourself. Take that food back out. Yeah. But if you don't know any notice any symptoms for three to four days or they're mild, write that down, then stop adding that food in. So kind of take it back out for the rest of the week, then the last three days of the week, and just see how your system feels. Kind of sometimes there's a delayed response. If everything feels fine, then add that food to your your good food list and. There should there shouldn't eat anything like every single day the same way. Like it's not super great for your immune system to get in big ruts. But you know, if it's something gives you no symptoms, you can add it in three to four times a week. If something gives you mild symptoms, it's useful to know. And you might wanna, you know, maybe you might eat that occasionally for a certain reason, but you know, know that when you're doing it, you're kind of irritating your immune system. So you have to decide like how much do you wanna suffer? Yeah. That makes total sense. And if you, so when you're doing that phase, would you start, so say if you ate, okay, so beetroot, so say if I ate beetroot and I was fine on it, would I add that back in then or would I wait to finish the kind of testing phase and then add them all back in at once? Oh no, you can add it then. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, what, Jessica, I think the book is amazing and it's so clear and simple and it's really, um, I think it's one of the few books that are, that's detailed enough, I think, for people to go through it, um, you know, alone if they want to, though with a nutritionist or a coach um, would be best, but, you know, people can do it on their own as well. And um, I just think it's going to be a really brilliant resource. So thank you so much for writing the book and for actually taking this perspective around getting well for work and, and living the life that we want to live. Oh, you're so welcome. And yes, I did write it such that if you don't have access to your nutritionist or health coach that's trained, slow it down, read it, take it one step at a time. There's a lot of detail, but you can do this yourself if that's not a choice. If it is a choice, I definitely recommend working with someone. I mean, you would be a great person to start with because <laughs> it, it's just helpful to have to hold your hand, you know, and, and the way I explain this is there are books and YouTube videos on how to renovate your bathroom. And yet I would never do that. I would buy the book and then I would out, like, look, I would maybe take a couple tiles off. Then I would freak out and call a plumber or something. So we need professionals to hold our hand, even if maybe we can do it ourselves. Sometimes it's just not the best way to go about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good example. Um, so people can buy the book on Amazon? 
They can, or quite honestly, you can get a free copy. I'm happy to give you a free copy of the book at outsmartendo.com. The website is outsmartendo.com. And if you're looking for a um, health coach or a nutritionist to work with through the book, the first person I would recommend is Jessica Duffin right here. Um, and if she's too booked or she lives, or if you want someone closer to you for any reason, then we have a directory of practitioners at endodirectory.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jessica. And I hope to have you on again for a third time in the future. Thanks so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to know more about managing endometriosis, you feel lost, you need some support, or you're just interested in one-to-one coaching for endometriosis, then you can check out my one-to-one coaching program on my website. The link is in the show notes, or you can just email me directly and we can book in a time to have a complimentary chat and I can tell you a little bit about what coaching is and you can share with me what you're struggling with and we can see whether we can help you. My email is hello at thisendolife.com. I look forward to hearing from you. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 